Nokia and Inaka brand um, as of now, and I, I totally foresee it kind of staying on this trajectory, is is very much about kind of the benefits, added value, bonuses that you can add to kind of city life without being necessarily like stuck in the city, right? It's just, um, you know, you can do the Tokyo thing and then also have this, that, and the other, or, you know, big city thing, and then also have the, the kind of accompanying world uh, experiences. Hi, and welcome to Seeking Sustainability in Japan. In this episode, we're talking about one of the more popular topics, remodeling, restoring, and buying abandoned or vacant homes in Japan. And we're talking with Matthew Ketchum of Akia and Inaka, who has great insights since they started the business one year ago. Welcome everyone. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. And Matt, you were saying exactly about one year ago, I talked to you about Akia and Inaka and you guys were just starting up. So it's yeah. great to have you on now again and catch up on your year. <clears throat> How has the year been for Akia and Inaka and helping international people find great abandoned places we're going to talk about the the wide definition of akia in a minute um how's the year been since we talked last great uh really good better than we imagined um business i don't know if i'd say you know business is booming right but it's going very well um we've had over the last year last i checked over the last year we've had 17 uh clients active paying clients really that's the only thing that matters right <laughs> Um, coming through at the moment, we have at least three, if not four, active clients we're working with right now uh, in uh, Kansai, in Nagano, across Kansai, Nagano, Chiba. I think those are the three kind of areas that we're working in right now. I have to check. Um, yeah, it's going great, but I mean, really, the it, it's been a, an excellent learning experience, right? Um, and we've learned a lot about ourselves and Inaka and business and all this stuff. I think one of the biggest learnings that we've had though is not that we went into this with like hardcore real estate, real estate, let's, you know, we're into that. Um, but we've really determined that this is very much a, like we use real estate as a tool to facilitate kind of lifestyle transitions, let's say. Um, and so the Akia and Inaka brand um, as of now, and I, I totally foresee it kind of staying on this trajectory, is is very much about kind of the benefits, added value, bonuses that you can add to kind of city life without being necessarily like stuck in the city, right? Um, there's something that I'm very passionate about is kind of this realization that there's very much, especially in Tokyo, this very binary conversation of either you live in Minato-ku or you're nobody, right? And that's not the case at all. Um, for whatever reason, that narrative has been very uh, sticky, let's say, um, if not outright attractive to a lot of people. And so something that we're very actively and I'm very actively trying to do and facilitate is kind of the realization that, well, it's not even a matter of the binary, it's just, you know, you can do the Tokyo thing and then also 
have this, that, and the other, or you know, big city thing, and then also have the the kind of accompanying uh, rural experiences. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I've, it is always a very popular topic on <clears throat> seeking sustainability life because the whole idea of taking something old but still useful and extending the life of it, there's no better example than a lot of these great properties in Japan, which you can really get a great bargain on. Um, and remodel and refurbish, restore. And I noticed recently on your website and yeah. on your social media, you're also talking about renovation and the the hurdles for remodeling. So after you buy something, how to make it even more suited to your needs, right? Right, right. Um, let me go back to what you started that statement out with, which is basically sustainability, right? Um, that's also a huge <laughs> factor in all of this. Um, the, I mean, I, I won't completely lambast new builds and stuff, you know, if you want to do it and you do it well and you've got the money, okay, fine. Um, but the whole conversation about sustainability, uh, has, has been frustrating for some time due to, you know, there's a lot of this, but not a whole lot of actual meaningful action. Um, over the year with our clients and our experience and you know i travel a lot um speaking with people and whatnot it's out there you can do it like this is not just a talking point like really all you have to do is make the commitment the opportunities are not that difficult to access um so yeah sustainability is totally doable and apia is an excellent example of it uh so far as renovation <clears throat> is concerned um yeah we do that well we don't we have basically i mean we've, we've got a professional network that we can recommend to our clients post-purchase. Um, it's not the case that with every Akia purchase, there are renovations that must be made. Um, really, I think last time we spoke, I probably mentioned this, but just you know, at risk of repeating myself, there's a wide variety of what Akia are. It's not a specific, uh, very well-defined word. I think probably kind of the zeitgeist is like, oh my God, yeah, they're dumpster fires and there's probably ghosts or whatever. Um, those exist, but it's not at all the entirety of the Akia market. And so, like we, one of our clients in, where was that, Nagano, Tijiri Kogen, I think it was, they closed, we closed with them on a Thursday, and they moved in that Saturday without purchasing anything. I mean, like, literally, it was turnkey. So, yeah, renovation, if you need to do it, if you want to do it, if that's what you're looking for, yeah, we can help out with that, but it's not a necessity. It's not necessarily a necessity. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because uh, recently I talked to a woman in Australia who bought an akiya, like beautiful old Japanese style traditional minka, and they spent some time remodeling it and restoring it. Um, but it's a holiday home. They don't mm. live full time in Japan. So there's that end of the market as well, right? You right. you probably have international customers yeah. who aren't full time residents <clears throat> in Japan. And then you have people who want to do a life transition. Um, mm -hmm. And then you've got people like, I love this, uh, go and join us as we go through Akia and find some treasures to take home. Like it's like a flea market. So you're, you're now doing so many various things. It's not just about the property. 
it's no. a much wider lens on reusing a lot of still very valuable, very good materials, houses or or items, right? I yeah, there's there's the reuse thing, and then on top of that too, there's also the, um, I mean, for lack of kind of a less blunt uh, word, like there's the technology aspect of it, um, the tool set aspect, and something that uh, you've probably seen me harping on. Um, like there there's there are a lot of hurdles in rural Japan to like wrangling it into kind of usable, like acceptable mod. Like I have pretty high standards myself. <clears throat> and so there are things that you need to do, things you need to be aware of, things you need to be able to use um, in order to do it. And so there's, like you said, there's, you know, the flea market sort of thing we did. But I mean, right now I'm literally building out our, uh, our e-commerce platform <laughs> to put all of the cool stuff that you can find in just abandoned houses. Uh, totally legally done with full, like everybody was where the real estate agents were there. This was not us running in and just like grabbing stuff just because we wanted to. It was like a big party. I can put you in touch with the organizers if you want. Um, but yeah, using technology, uh, be it e-commerce platforms, be it uh, like we're doing a bunch of NFT stuff with field recordings. Um, I mean, obviously we're you know doing live streaming right now. Uh, there's there's a wide world of tools out there, everybody. And if you use them, then you can start uh, kind of developing or at least non-standard, if not outright rural experiences. But if, I mean, really a lot of the problem that we deal with <clears throat> is, well, just nobody's bothered changing how they do things. And historically speaking, how you do things doesn't work. So why would you expect anything to change, like magical thinking? sort of stuff. Um, and so utilizing, understanding and utilizing um, kind of tools that are available, mostly digital, but not entirely, um, is is key to actually making things happen in rural Japan. Yeah. Um, uh, on your, I showed your Facebook page uh, just previously. There's a lot of great information there. Uh, your YouTube channel. This is your number one video. You've had like over 8,000 people looking at that. This is a very impressive. Now, this is an example of one of the properties that you guys are able to help people find, which is basically you can move in. This <clears> is a beautiful, beautiful property. You don't have to do anything to it unless you yeah. want to, right? And so the, the owner lives nearby. Um, they, uh, it's, a, it's a couple probably in what, the early 60s, something like that. Um, they're both professional artists. They've worked with Nat Geo, NHK, um, various large, like major, uh, like, uh, media organizations. Um, and the reason it's an Akia is they moved into another house nearby. <laughs> like that's it. Um, so they, they cleaned the place. Uh, I've, I've been there a number of times with them. Um, yeah, Akia, this is an example of Akia not being haunted houses. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the other extreme where you've got $5, $500 homes, you know, like there is real range in terms of, yeah. of what, what is available. Right. Uh, there, there is. Let me, yeah. can I, can I, yeah, yeah, riff, go ahead. Riff, can I riff on the uh, $500 thing? So that's, we've written articles about this. Um, on one hand, it's kind of a double-edged sword on one hand, you know, I appreciate those articles and that more than anything, they keep the conversation going, they keep interest, they're very 
I believe the industry word industry word is snackable um, and whatnot. So like that's good. Uh, the problem that we have, and it's a major one uh, that we have with articles like that. So this year's news cycle about Akia is all about the five hundred dollar Akia in southeastern Wakayama. Um, and that's all well and good. Like if you want to go be a mountain person, uh, awesome. Like we can help with that if you want. Thing is, most people don't. Uh, the stories such as the $500 Akio one are problematic in that they paint a very concrete and uh, obtuse picture of what opportunities are available with Akio, which is to say, they basically all categorically state that Akia equal be a mountain person. Like you can't be a professional or a high net worth individual or a digital person if you want to do Akia. Like Akia equals off the grid. Of course, you can do that, yes. And this is the article that I'm referencing. You can do that, but most people don't want to. Most people, most of our clients have a budget of at least about 50,000 US, which is, you know, that's not pocket change, but it's also 50,000 US for a house and land. Like if, if you're poo-pooing that amount of money for what is usually a very expensive purchase, like maybe you just shouldn't be in real estate, <laughs> right? Um, and also too, the, uh, and somewhere in the article that you're looking at, uh, the city that they reference um, in the $500 Akia article, I believe it's like eight hours from Osaka, right? Um, that is, again, if that's what you're into, Cool. we can help out with it but most people most of our clients if not tokyo then they want to be within about two hours of a major city center right this is what's reasonable again if you want the mountain person experience you can do it but just the fact is there aren't that many people that want to do that they're not that many people that find that attractive they might read it and it's you know like robinson caruso or swiss family robinson and you know kind of fantastical and all this stuff and that's all well and good but the fact is, if you want to move Akia, most people don't want that. They want something that's much more convenient, much more immediately livable, fewer restorations and renovations that need to be done, this, that, and the other thing, right? And so we have a major issue with the articles that kind of focus in on, on the mountain person, kind of legendary kind of element, um, because it's, simply speaking, it, it just doesn't reflect, reflect reality. Yeah. And there's a similar uh, problems with the Akia Bank quite often. If the Akia Bank is a great resource, it list is a, lists a lot of properties which would not be listed on mainstream real estate websites, but there's a lot of hit and miss in, in the Akia Bank and some of them yeah. are overpriced. Some of them are really beyond repair, like they should just knock it down. Uh, Tina McCarthy from Australia, who was talking about her finding a great place in Onomichi, mm -hmm. She said she started with Akia Bank and then eventually talked to other people, got recommendations and found better places. Like the Akia right. Bank's a good starting point, but you're gonna wanna find other resources as well. Is that kind of your experience in oh, your work? Yeah, um, it's a very complex uh, ecosystem. Um, and just so I guess for viewers, in case they're unaware of what Akia Bank are not is um they're they're i kind of think of them as orphanages basically not to you know speak ill of orphanages um but basically what akia bank are is they're repositories for 
the properties that real estate agents don't reasonably want to sell. Um, and so they're sellable, but nobody wants to touch them. And so Akia banks are municipal efforts, very well intended, yes, uh, very poorly executed almost across the board of um, civil servants who have no experience in real estate, have no experience with you know web design, um, databasing, IT of really kind of any sort. Um, it's their effort to kind of try to move these things, um, but there's very little incentive uh, financially and otherwise for them to do it well, really. So Akia banks, again, they're like, they're very well-intentioned. Um, I'm beyond the breaking point of, you know, applauding that. They're garbage. <laughs> um, and part of the problem that Akia Bank uh, are so poorly maintained, so poorly administered, um, or maybe they're not part of the, they're reflective of the problem, which is that there's very little incentive from a business point of view for any real estate agent to bother with something that's basically below a million dollars US. Um, and so if you're dealing with, you know, again, a $50,000 property, the issue is that real estate agents get a 3% commission upon sale of the sales price, nothing else. Um, and so if you're dealing with a $50,000 property that you have to spend days taking potential buyers, not guaranteed buyers out, and then you get a 3% cut on that, like why would you, it's just not good business. Nobody would be interested in that, reasonably speaking. Um, and so Akia Bank are reflective of the endemic issues in the Japanese real estate market. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was in Onomichi recently where uh, Tina McCarthy had bought a house and I ended up talking with a local Brazilian lady and she mm. said the same thing. Like she found a great property um, up the stairs. There's no street access, but she found like basically they're giving it away um, because there's no road access. A lot of places on the mountain which mm -hmm. are more difficult to get to and from and more right. difficult to renovate unless you do right. it yourself. Um, are really those are vibe. I personally think those are really fun. Right. Um, but again, unless a client is very specific about that's what they want. Generally speaking, t those types of properties don't really sell. There's a lot of tire kickers for sure. Um, but, at the end of the day, they don't, they end up not really moving very quickly on those. Again, starting at about 55 million yen, from that price point up, you start getting people who are actually legit interested and serious about making purchases. Anything below that, and it's sort of just a fantasy. But that, that would definitely be a consideration, right? If you're looking for a property, uh, does it have road access? Are you going to be able yeah. to park a car? Um, what about are water? Are you able <laughs> to get a remodel company to do remodel if you need it, right? Like those are all important considerations if you're going to buy something, right? Yeah, and especially with regards to remodeling and renovation, another thing that needs to be considered in that is you, it's not always the case that there are very skilled local craftspeople, right? A lot of the time, especially if you want highly skilled, like, you know, sort of top tier sort of stuff, they're coming from however many hours away and that ends up costing, right? And so it's not the case that you can just pick an Akia anywhere in all of Japan and just immediately renovate it into a beautiful thing. Like, no, <laughs> that's not reasonable. Yeah, like Laura, I've talked to Laura Blackhall, uh, Lauren mm -hmm. Schiff, and they've both doing so much of the renovation themselves. 
Um, right. So if you are skilled in that way, you can find a beautiful old Japanese house and do so much beautiful work and have something you really love. But I think for a, a lot of people, they just don't have that skill set. So it's right. it's another or, thing to consider, or, right? More often, it's that they don't have the time. Um, we went into this business kind of with, you know, a few hunches about who would be purchasing. Um, but we're really kind of blown away by the fact that our clientele is, I say international in the sense that they have international experience. Um, we have Japanese clients, American, Canadian, Australian, Singaporean. Uh, we're talking with Korea uh, and, you know, just international, right? <clears throat> All of them are fluent in Japanese. All of them have been here for, in Japan, if provided they live here, have lived in Japan for at least five years. Uh, and all of them have the ability, or if not downright experience, of renovating properties themselves. So it's not the case we find, at least with our clientele, that you know they can't do it. It's merely they don't have the time, or they just don't feel like it, or this, that, or the other thing, right? Um, and so that's that's actually a very interesting finding of, of ours that that is interesting yeah. or or in my case i am interested i will do some of the small plastering but i i just know that other people can do it so much better right yeah <laughs> so that's, that's i would rather good. live in something professionally done yeah exactly exactly right i mean if you buy the 500 dollars house then okay have at it but you know if um, no matter what you do with that thing it's probably not going to end up being great but yeah, you know, if you want to do it, cool. If uh, if you want to get somebody else in on it, also cool. It's, I mean, really, it's just a matter of kind of figuring out what you want and then finding the resources to do that. Yeah, uh, you guys were featured by Tokyo Lama recently uh, yes. on his YouTube channel, uh, going through this crazy. A series of Akia, but it was such a great introduction for his audience because he's often asked about abandoned houses or the Akia market in Japan. So this was a great introduction from him. I really enjoyed this video, um, but it, it also, it surprised me because he said, although he renovated his old house, he would he spent like two million yen like he wouldn't consider something much more than that and you guys were looking around chiba is that right yeah we were in nagara which if you go to the city of mobara which is what like 70 ish minutes from tokyo station uh it's immediately west of there so it's kind of in just in the middle of the top neck of the Bolso peninsula in chiba um yeah, it's a good spot. Two, the two million yen thing, those exist. I've seen, there's one in Ishikawa Prefecture in, where is it? Uh, not Togane. Nanao now, City. Just, just to mention, this is not two million. This one was incredible. He basically shipped in a kit yeah, from yeah. Scandinavia and made this yeah. beautiful home. And this is a second home, but also yeah. considered an Akia. So this is yeah. a, another example of something you could yeah. move in on. This this one, I believe, is about 18.5 million. So it's not cheap, or comparatively, it's not cheap. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the price range varies. Why we've got a client right now that has a budget of eighty million yen, right? And actually, they're looking out in Shiba. I mean, with eighty million, you can get a very large Akia and a very so large. 80, eighty million just to do a U.S. dollar conversion is about eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, call it that, right? 
Um, we Which is cheapest... so reasonable if you're thinking about a very high quality, you know, property, right? Yeah, I mean, the one that we're working with them right now, um, for viewers who aren't aware of this, Japan has like a, if I'm being honest, very stupid way of uh, uh, talking about size of, of um, uh, building. And so the one that we're working out there is referred to as a 10SLDK. Uh, so that's 10 rooms. I can't even remember what S stands for. L is living, D is dining, K is kitchen. Um, two stories, I believe the house itself, or the building itself is, I think it's like 270 square meters. The plot of land is just shy of an acre. Um, it's it's quite large. And so for 800,000 US, I mean, again, that's not chump change, but also considering what you're getting, and we've already commissioned um, uh, inspections of the property both the building as well as the land. Um, so, and it seems let's, to be good. Let's talk about inspections for a minute because that, that's something important. I think before people want to buy. Good. So what kinds of things are you definitely going to make sure is in good shape before you buy a property? Are you looking at the toilet, the sewage line, the water so line, that kind of thing? Toilets, sewage, water, all those things are generally uh, very easy to kind of case. Um, if they're not documented, that's like the first thing that a municipal ward office will be able to tell you. If they can't or you have to track it down, you should probably just run for the hills on that one because, uh, right? Um, so that's easy enough to track down. Really what we're looking for uh, with regards to uh, building specifically inspections is structural integrity. Um, and so that's, you know, over the course of let's say it's been standing for 30 years, right? Sometimes there's a little bit of sinkage and, you know, the, the frame ends up being a little bit um, distended or otherwise kind of bent out of shape, uh, which itself isn't always like necessarily a, a deal breaker. But if you don't know these things going into a purchase, I mean, if we're talking about buying, you know, like a toy car or, or whatever, then, okay, I don't care. But like, this is, you know, real estate and you're probably spending at least a little bit of money on it. You should be pretty... <laughs> sure of what it is you're getting your hand you're getting into um so yeah structural integrity is i mean the name of the game if you don't look into that um with prior to purchase you're inviting basically you're just inviting a whole lot of risk um it might be the case that it works out just fine and if so that's great but i don't like leaving things to chance you know what i mean um and then with regards to the land itself this is quite important Anecdotally, um, what was it, three or four months ago, there was a big landslide in Atami, right? Um, I live about 10 minutes by car from that landslide. <laughs> uh, and so that was due to bad business practice. There was a developer on the plot, uh, I believe in solar energy, and that's a whole other story that I probably won't get into. Um, but they just very slipshod um, and improperly cut a whole lot of corners on developing that land and oops, uh, a whole bunch of water came and washed it away. It's not necessarily the case that, you know, landslides always happen regardless of development, but if you're buying property that's near something like that, regardless of disaster zone, again, you're inviting disaster um, or at least the risk of, and so conducting- Especially now uh, with, climate crisis and uh, storms getting more serious. Uh, I have volunteered on a bunch of different landslide uh, cleanup activities oh, okay, over the cool. years. 
And one thing that I have noticed just from my perspective and talking to locals is if your house is protected by some concrete mansions around you, that's, that's something to consider. Like if you're right there next to the mountain and there's nothing that's going to stop the landslide before it hits you, that's definitely something to consider. And that's something I saw in many mm -hmm. cases. I would caution against that, actually, um, because if it's a if it's a serious landslide, much like a tsunami, guess what? Houses, especially the poorly built kind of cookie cutter uh, McMansions that Japan is so fond of these days, they don't really stand up very well to a wall of mud coming against no. it. And so no. probably what will end up happening is you have a false sense of security. Those houses that are protecting you will crumple. And then your house will too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now the ones, the ones that the Japanese style wooden houses that were protected were be in they the big concrete mansions, the apartment blocks that were behind them, took mm -hmm. the brunt of the landslide. So mm -hmm. they were fine, but the ones behind the mansion were completely engulfed. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, we all have these landslide maps that were given when we are looking at property. So definitely something to keep in mind, uh, especially during climate change. Now we have yeah. a, a question from YouTube. Erin has joined and she wants to know, what is all the stuff behind you? So that's a good chance to explain. <laughs> I also do a lot of work in Japan's independent music scene. Um, obviously, Motorhead is not a Japanese band, but I'm a big fan. Um, this is what's called a battle jacket. And it's what people who are fans of heavy metal and punk rock and grindcore, things like this, uh, end up wearing. Got a whole bunch of Japanese bands on the jacket. And then, most importantly, is this which is Tohoku Lighthouse Daisakusen in uh, Miyako and Ofunato and uh, Ishimaki cities, which is, I used to live in Miyako right here in Iwate. And actually a very timely question too, as we were talking about landslides. Um, I lived in Miyako when the uh, 2011 tsunami hit the coast of Tohoku. Um, that's a whole other story, but it was, uh, one hell of a ride, let's say. Um, but anyway, in the uh, aftermath of that, my friends uh, got together with a bunch of local punk rock. Actually, not even local. It's it's a kind of long story, but strangely enough, um, from Sapporo City, Kolosan from the hardcore punk band Slang, who also runs uh, Club Counteraction, which is very well known uh, in select circles, uh, very known, well known live house in a concert hall in Sapporo City. Somehow, Kolsan of all people got down to Miyako in the middle of a disaster, like a week or two after all of this happened with a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, um, and they suggested that they start building uh, concert halls in disaster zones, which sounds like maybe a bad idea. But the point being uh, was that you know you get food, you get shelter, you get fire, you get you know clothing, all of those kind of basic needs done. What doesn't get talked about a lot with regards to natural disaster or disasters of any kind um, is what happens after you get those basic needs covered, which is to say community, you know, emotional and mental well-being. Having fun is actually a very important thing, right? And so, like, I remember I was there in the disaster. I was homeless, right? Yeah, I read um, your article. Yeah, on, yeah. On seeing so, the disaster. It's amazing. Yeah, and so you don't, like, you realize, like, okay, great, I have a coat. 
and then you kind of just sit there and look at the gray. <laughs> like that's not a very positive experience. And so with Toho Lighthouse Daisaksen, um, their whole goal was, all right, we got our basic needs. Now we need to actually get the communities back together and give them something to do. Yeah, awesome. Um, and so they're, and they're it's selected. on a maikake, one of my favorite traditional Japanese things. So this is uh, apron that used to be the traditional advertising style. So you would have uh, big sake companies or shoyu or different kinds of Japanese brands who would advertise using the aprons of the shopkeepers. So yep. I love to see that maikake is continuing to be used in kind of a traditional cool way in Japan. Uh, we have yeah, another well, question. Oh, Great question about earthquakes. I think since we're on the natural disaster theme, uh, mm -hmm. Darren says, how about earthquake standards of older homes? Great question. Yeah, yeah good question. Um, so from like an official point of view, I believe it was 1984 that the most recent um, kind of earthquake proofing standards were uh, implemented on new buildings as well as actually retrofitting. Um, so new builds, unless they're illegal, <laughs> uh, will abide by these standards. Retrofitting, let's be honest, it kind of depends on the owner and the developer. So it may or may not have, have happened. Uh, and that is also the case with Akia. Another thing to consider though, and this is another, also another reason why getting inspections is, is very good is you know, if we're looking at 100 plus year old properties, and that's not all of them, but we do we do sell those as well or deal with them. Um, I mean, they've been standing for 100 years, like Japan frequently has disasters. Uh, so that kind of at least suggests that the uh, structural integrity of said building is sound. But if you, again, going back to the standards thing, that is something that we need to check on uh, because it is not the case that mm, all existing structures that were built prior to those standards being implemented have been retrofitted. Um, that was that was one fingers. of the things that the remodel company that we got to check our house uh, to make sure we were going to keep the main structure. And they mm -hmm. looked at the traditional building techniques and how everything was fitted so beautifully together, all the joinery. And they said, you're really lucky. It was 50 years old and not 30 years old because 50 years ago they or 60 years ago, they were using this traditional style, which is much better for earthquakes mm -hmm. because it's able to shift. Yep. But then yep. they started using the pre-made cuts and those, those are more dangerous. So it's nice yep. to get professional insight. Yeah, really the bubble period introduced a lot of really bad practice. Um, and so you do need to be careful about that. Yeah. Great question, Darren. Thank you. Um, that's another thing I wanted to talk about is how many of the properties you're seeing so many Akia, so many vacant properties, right? Not right, just right, abandoned, right. but a real range. Um, right. How many of the properties that you're finding, which end up getting sold, are mm -hmm. the more traditional Minka style versus the more modern builds? Uh, we basically... Not that we're against using and working with like the cookie cutter kind of prefab ones. Nobody's really interested in those. Um, generally speaking, we're looking at not necessarily like Minka or stuff like that, but you know, older, more traditional um, kind of stuff is far more popular. Um, yeah, so most of them, most of the stuff we're working with, 
I mean, it is a range, right? The stuff that we're looking, that we're working with out in Chiba ranges from, I think it's like 20, 20 to 40 years old. So, so relatively new, also up to standard, up to code. Um, but then we've also sold stuff in Nagano and Gunma that's, oh, that what, in Gunma we sold something that was, I think it was Meiji 3.1. So that's like 1902, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, that one, that's actually a really fun one. Um, I, I, I won't get too many details, but it's it's a very good anecdote of how wacky the Akia ecosystem is. And so we had a client, I'll pat myself on the back, we kind of knocked this one out of the park. Um, and so we found something that, you know, we reasonably expected fit, you know, the profile that the client had provided. And we do, you know, all of the sleuth work that we can up to visiting the place and then we decide to go visit and we get there and we're walking through and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty nice. And it, it used to be a, um, well, I want to put that, but you know, it's looking pretty good. And then we get out back and I have it on video. Actually, I don't think it's live on our YouTube channel. Um, but you can hear me saying to my business partner, Parker, something along the lines of like, Hey, did we know that there's another house out here? <laughs> and his response was, Oh no, <laughs> no, we did not. Um, and so that was not registered on the, like basically the official deed that the local government had, despite the fact that it actually existed. And that structure is the thing that was built in, again, I think it was Meiji 31. Um, but yeah, we had no idea until we got there and physically viewed the property that actually you're buying two houses. <laughs> wow. That's quite a find, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> It, yeah, and fortunately, like that specific client is, is a very, um, uh, you know, kind of not roll with the punches, but a, a pretty, you know, unique and kind of fun seeking kind of person. So they were just like, oh, my God, are you serious? This is great. Let's do this. <laughs> wow. So. so what what is the process? Like people would contact you and tell you an area that they're interested in and then you would tell them what's available now or do you have more general inquiries like this is my price range i don't care where it is give me some advice like what it's, what kind of inquiries do you get it's both um or at least it starts out as both i mean realistically speaking if, if we don't have a precise definition or profile of what it is a client wants like we kind of can't do our job so regardless of how specific or nebulous they are, when they come to us, our first job is working with them in order to develop a very strictly defined profile of what they want, right? And you know that's price range, that's location, that's how many stories, how old is it, how many bathrooms, those are very important, whether or not the kitchen's been renovated, this, that, and the other thing, right? Whether or not it's kind of a traditional build or more Western style, um, there is, we have a questionnaire that we provide our, our clients with, I think it's about 25 um, data points that we collect. And I mean, it's a rolling process, right? It's iterative. And so we use that to get started, but you know, we're checking in the clients as we go to make sure that, hey, are we still on point? Um, so yeah, it's it's a very wide range of, um, of people, but that's, that's kind of where we start um, is basically detective work, right? Uh, producing portfolios. Um, four clients that fit these profiles, we work with them um, to develop. Once we have those portfolios, of course, we're going through them and reviewing them with clients. Um, and from those, 
Well, they say, oh, hey, this one looks really great. I'm actually interested in that one. Let's do due diligence on it. Um, and so that's where we end up going out for viewings, um, when we commission inspections, uh, when we're visiting and um, basically cross-referencing um, the very disparate and scattershot uh, kind of digital and physical uh, documentation of Akio or the Akio in question. Um, we're also kind of cross-examining uh, local municipal governments about, hey, where's, you know, where's this document that's supposed to be there? And what about that house that's not listed sort of thing? Um, and really digging down, digging deep into, okay, we think we know what this is. Let's prove it so that you can make an informed decision on whether or not you want to make an offer, right? And then once, let's assume that we do want to make an offer. And from there, we work with our partner, uh, real estate uh, agency, SDK Properties, in uh, commencing the closing procedures. Um, and once you get the keys in your hands, we can also help out with renovations or gardening, or, you know, kind of post-purchase, whatever. So we have a network that we basically just give our clients access to. That's really cool and very important. And you need you need people who have local know-how and be able to connect you to the right people to get things done. One of the things that um, Tina mentioned as a international buyer who's not full-time resident in Japan is it's very possible to buy a property, but you have to pay 100%. There's no way you're gonna get a loan oh, if you're yeah. not a resident, right? <laughs> no. Like a no that would be. I, I would question the uh, yeah I would question the financial institution that was like oh you you don't live here okay cool here's fifty thousand dollars <laughs> like, but still you know I mean she did do research in Australia and she couldn't find anything comparable even if you take into account the international flights and everything and so she loves Japan so much for her it was worth it right so yeah. it's still good value. Yeah, I mean, that's we, we've got a few international clients right now. Australia is really, really moving at the moment. Like, Aus Aussies are very much coming to us with their dreams. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a process. You know, we conduct virtual walkthroughs, for example. I mean, there's a number of things that we need to do. There's also management to consider, right? If you're not a full-time resident, then what happens when you're not here, right? You don't necessarily need to rent it out, but you know, if you're here two months a year, three months max, because, you know, tourist visa, um, or assuming a tourist visa, well, then that means you're not here for nine months. And in nine months, like a whole lot of mold and mildew can form in a not inhabited house. So is somebody coming by weekly or daily or monthly, you know, just like basic cleaning sort of stuff. Uh, if you want to rent it out, um, you know, there's, well, do you want an Airbnb? Do you want Ninpaku? Have you started your own company? Are you integrated with another company that's based in Japan in order to do this? Um, there's a whole lot of considerations to be made, but so long as you make them and know, know to make them, well, then, yeah, it's totally good. Yeah. You would still need a local agent, right? Because um, even though you've bought it from your money abroad, you still need money to keep it running. Like if you want to have electricity, you want to have water, you want to have gas to your property for when you visit, you're going to need a local bank account, but you're not allowed a local bank account. So you would need a local agent who manages that for you. And if there's any problems or legal things, right? Yeah. So you local, guys would be able to help with that? 
Oh yeah, we do that. Um, just to clarify, local meaning domestic, local not necessarily meaning local to the specific community that. Yes, yes. Sorry, okay. domestic yeah. Japan. Right, right. Yeah, and that's that's very important. Honestly, we suggest. I mean, again, we do this, and I mean, it is a revenue stream. So, like, okay, we're happy to do it. Um, but the best way to go about it is really forming your own company, um, an or like management company. And the added bonus of that is, oh, you, now you can sponsor a visa, right? So if you want to live in Japan, start a company, <laughs> right? That's one of the best ways. Wow, that's interesting. And you guys would be able to refer people to people that could help you set up a business. Oh, we facilitate that. We have one client right now that we're working through that process at the moment. Um, they've already got their, what is it, CO certificate of eligibility. So the company is set up. Everything's good to go. It's just a matter of Japan opening its borders again. Interesting. Uh, one of the things that uh, I was considering when I was I was looking for places is about the the toilet and the sewage line, and this is still an issue, especially in rural Japan. Uh, mm -hmm. You have a lot of uh, sewage systems, which the truck has to come and suck out the the toilet, the sewage. But then you have other properties which are connected to mm -hmm. the main sewage line run by the city. Um, is that a consideration you found Absolutely. with international clients? Yeah. Um, again, you know, if you're crazy and you've got the money, okay, we can we can do whatever. Um, but generally speaking, septic tanks, septic systems are not ideal. Um, and most people want to have a property that is hooked up to actual sewage, like public, public works. That includes sewage. It also includes electricity. It includes running water. Um, it includes a whole bunch of things, fiber optics. This, I mean, really anything that goes into making a house or a, a building of any kind into like a functional inhabitable space, most people want that readily accessible, right? And so, yeah, like I said, you know, if you want a septic tank, we can, we got that. <laughs> but I would, uh, I would love to see more uh, remodeled houses with compost toilets because I've been to a few restaurants and cafes recently in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. and they have a compost toilet, and it does not smell, and it works mm -hmm. really well. And if you're talking about sustainability, compost toilets are the way to go. Yeah, and that's that's definitely on like on our radar at the moment. This might change, but at the moment, kind of the way that we're conducting ourselves is with various you know sustainability practices such as composting toilets in mind but also knowing that okay let's get them out there first <laughs> like just make the big move and then we can start having these talks about utopian society and this that, and the other thing but the, the, the main thing is okay get that house <laughs> like once you do that everything else kind of opens up and becomes a little bit easier yeah. Um, but yeah, all of these things are very much um, in our mind. And I mean, the sustainability aspect of Akia is, oh my God. I, I mean, like I get goosebumps just thinking about it because again, kind of going back to those articles about the $500 thing, those really rubbed me the wrong way in a number of ways. But one is because those articles detail such a labor and cost intensive process, that makes it unattractive to most people who otherwise might be interested in doing something like that, which means that fewer people are incentivized or mot otherwise motivated to pursue sustainable practices in real estate. Right. And then, the, you know, there's the whole business element. I mean, it's a complex system, right? But the sustainability. Like, like for me, if you're talking about living off grid, mm -hmm. um, that is more future proof 
Uh, if you're talking about natural disasters being cut off from the electric grid, maybe you have your own solar panels and a home battery and an mm -hmm. electric car and a compost toilet. You are off grid. You can yeah. survive by yourself as long yep. as your house is not destroyed. Right. Right. Well, even then. <laughs> um, or just having a bike. And another thing, too, though, that uh, I guess is maybe more a personal kind of affectation um, is the talk about community and sustainability. I think one of the best examples I have and where I live in Yubawada is simply the fact that, you know, two or three days a week, probably on average, one of the local residents who lives nearby just has too much produce and they kind of just knock on the door and they're like, oh, hey, do you want some food? Okay, here, you know, like that element of just, you know, you want to talk about circular economies, you want to talk about sharing economies, you want to, I mean, there's a lot that goes into sustainability and it's not just, you know, kind of consumer centric or at least individual centric. There's, I mean, there's the network, there's the, the ecosystem um, that really is what sustainability is about. And so the experiences that people can have, um, renovating Akio is super cool and fun and all that stuff. And, you know, probably makes you feel good and everything. But in addition to that, what we're really interested in is the Akio almost as like a diving board into sustainable communities and not just sustainability is this nice word that gets thrown around and talked about. Definitely, definitely. The community aspect, working with other people, uh, doing a cashless society where you're, you're doing trade on the, you know, you have a charmed life, Matthew, you are traveling around Japan to all these beautiful places uh, to help people see these available houses that they can buy. But um, do you have a favorite place from all your travels? You know, I, I mean, that's a hard question because there's a lot of really good spots. Um, I, I live down in Izu. I'm, I'm quite taken with the Izu Peninsula accessibility, uh, natural beauty. Um, there's diving, there's mountain climb. I mean, so far as outdoor sports are concerned, minus skiing and stuff like that. Um, it's easy. is great. I mean, like I've said, I, I'm in Tokyo, you know, three times a week, something like that. It's 45, what, 50 minutes by bullet train, but I think it's like an hour and a half on local train. So, you know, it's a bit of a hike, but it's totally doable. Um, where else is really good? So many still gorgeous like neighborhoods. Yeah, the Minakami area is quite nice. Um, have you spoken with Corey out there? Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Corey's we had great a great time. conversation. And also, um, I've talked with Byron and Kaori Nagi. Yes. yes and yes. Uh, they had a big life transition from Tokyo, uh, yes. working in center Tokyo and now running a guest house and a farm and having a They're, more natural centric life with their family out there. What, That's they, a beautiful story. what they have done there is just outstanding. I words do not <laughs> do what they have accomplished justice. Um, yeah. The Fujino area is quite nice. That's near uh, right on the edge of Kanagawa and Yamanashi. Um, right now, Oami Shirasato and kind of like West of Kujukuri out in Chiba is quite nice. Actually, the Narita area, if you have a car, is also pretty good, especially north of Narita Airport, right along. Wow, really? I wouldn't think of the Narita air area, but it's very convenient if you have to fly in and out the country. That's right. Chiba is a bit of an oddball in that by all means, you know, through like anecdotally, 
our experience with it suggests that during the 80s, it was just like, all right, we got a lot of money, just build there. And how about over there too? And just like there was very little kind of infrastructure planning. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff just like lying around in crazy places in Chiba. Um, yeah, Shizuoka is quite nice too. Um, and oh, Oita, you need to speak with Paul Christie of Waka Japan, who lives down in the Kumisaki Peninsula of Oita. I was just down there, and who we? That is that is big sky country. Um, I lived in Oita for three years. Oh, so really? I, yeah, I don't know Paul Christie though. I'll have to reach out. That sounds yeah, great. yeah. I can connect. I would love to have you speak with him. Um, just he showed. I was down there for about a week. I, I don't even want to give anything away. He's just got so many things going on there. But in the Kunisaki Peninsula, yeah, talk to Paul. You got to talk to Tetsuo. You got to talk to Mario. Um, they're all within like a 20 minute drive, let's say, of the Oita Airport. Um, yeah, so like that's great. Yeah. Um, Oita really kind of blew my mind. I was also just up in Ishikawa on Notojima. Um, which you may have saw on Twitter yesterday. People were talking about the squid uh that statue. giant squid right and statue? i contest can you call it a statue if it's a squid installation art you know art yeah <laughs> i contest that it's not nearly as successful as they say it is because i keep my eye out for things like that and while i was aware of it i was just in noto and it did not occur to me at all nor did i see any advertisement whatsoever for the squid art thing and so I think that they're being a little bit disingenuous in their reporting on how successful this squid is. Yeah. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of Oita or more remote places mm -hmm. uh, in Kyushu or anywhere, we have another great question from Darren. Any issues with good internet connections in some regions excluding remote mountains? And this is often Excellent like question. even when you're traveling around Japan, um, certain carriers definitely have stronger broadband in different rural areas. Have you found that? Yeah, so this is actually a, a huge, what do I want to call it? It's way beyond a pet peeve. Um, like a righteous crusade, maybe, of mine, <laughs> uh, which is connectivity, right? Um, and so this might get a little long-winded, force me to conclude if, if it does. Um, but in my travels, right, I, you know, do a lot of video editing, I do a lot of music, like I need connectivity. Um, and so in my travels, I do a lot of broadband or testing, networks testing, right? Um, and the interesting, the good news is that Japan, not everywhere, but a whole lot of places um, are, they have the physical infrastructure, uh, uh, fiber optics exist. It's there, it's doable, right? That's good, I like this. Problem is, uh, Japanese ISPs, I'm looking at you, AU, Docomo, all the big with SoftBank, all them are miserable at administering these networks. Such that in my travels, I would say that on average, you're looking at probably about 10 Mbps up and down, which ain't great, right? Especially if you're trying to upload something to the cloud, right? Um, so traveling wise, it's kind of a crapshoot. I would say err on the side of being correct and just assuming that wherever you're staying is going to have garbage connectivity. Again, out on Izo Oshimo, I ran a test, it had 0.01 Mbps. I was like, why is this even registering, <laughs> right? 
Um, so far as purchasing something and moving out there, uh, there's two things to consider. Number one, sometimes it works. Sometimes it works just fine. Um, again, a spot that we sold up in Nagano uh, to <coughs> a, a video producer. So again, very high network usage throughput. Um, they get much faster speeds at that place than they do in Tokyo. Reason being, there's nobody out there using the local network, right? The throughput is next to zero. So your ping ends up being far, far, far lower um, than what Tokyo provides. Uh, the other thing is um, with the major ISPs, you can complain to them and basically demand that they do their job well. That can work. It'll take some time. It'll probably be really frustrating, probably leave a bad taste in your mouth. But you can do it. Um, and then there are also kind of third-party, more independent um, kind of network administration services that you can also access. So much like everything else in the Akio ecosystem, it's a matter of understanding what your resources are and how to leverage them, right? And also being able to have the tool set to simply measure what is up. And I think there's more options now for having like a pocket Wi-Fi. Um, also you, a major point of contention. <laughs> oh, no, you don't have, but you don't have to get it installed in your house. Like I, no. I know a lot of people who live in rural areas and they just carry the pocket Wi-Fi with them if they need an extra boost to Correct. their, I, I their do, no, I do the normal. Same. Yeah. yeah, definitely do your research, get some recommendations from online for users that would recommend a certain company over another. I think um, definitely certain areas have very spotty coverage for certain carriers. That's another um, thing is that the, the metro areas, mobile Wi-Fi, ISPs, whatever, mobile areas are just way more congested, yeah. right? And so the further out, in my experience, the further out you get, the better your service is. That's interesting. All right, good to keep in mind. Uh, let's, we have just a couple more minutes, Matt. Uh, just from the website, Akiani Naka, these are the places that you're featuring right now. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to note that from the Chiba place at 18 million to mm -hmm. some of the other um, places in Gunma or Kanagawa at 50 million. Mm -hmm. So a real wide range in pricing but really good quality, even in different price ranges. Very interesting. Yeah, and the Aizawaka Matsu one, if I remember correctly, is five mil. Um, again, this this is more, so we don't really do listing. I mean, obviously we have four, um, so we don't not do it. But again, kind of standard practice in real estate is get a whole bunch of properties and throw them up there and just kind of, it's like fishing, you know, just sort of wait which is an excellent way to you know, spin your tires. Um, we don't really see very much positive in that model, at least for the type of business that we do. Um, and so these listings here, well, yes, they are, if you want to you know, inquire about them, we're happy to help out with them. But really kind of the main point of having any listings at all on our site is again, it's more kind of like narrative development than it is direct sales that we're interested in. Um, we really want to wrangle the conversation and maybe not even wrangle, but expand the conversation into, oh my God, that Minakami house in, in Gunma is like, geez Louise, that's 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 an Akio? Wow, I, I can't imagine that, that's amazing. So having people with a kind of a wider mindset about what Akio and Inaka, hence the name, um, is about is very valuable, not just from a financial point of view, but you know, from from a, I mean, I hate to like, you know, sound all grandiose and whatnot, but 
it's important, like from a societal and like sustainability and a number of points of view, that people have a better understanding of what the opportunities available to them. Definitely. And anybody who signs up for your newsletter or follows you guys on social media, you are so good at bringing in a variety of different sources. It's not just information coming from you. You are great at collaborating with other creators and news networks to share anything and everything that's happening and trending about the Akia market in Japan. So I think that's really valuable as a Thank collaborative you. aspect. Yeah, and that's also something that we run into a good bit. I don't know the exact word to use to describe it, but there, there's a lot of like siloism, let's say, which is which is merely just sort of people doing their thing over here and they're happy doing that. They don't really like that's what they do and nobody knows about it. Which again, if that's what you want, okay, cool, fine, great. Um, but you know, if you're somebody who is interested in more collaborative efforts or rural renovate or rural development and things like that. Well, if, if you don't have a community, like you're, you're really, it's just a bunch of hot air, <laughs> you know? And so having that collaboration, having that, um, you know, out or resource to, to kind of promote and otherwise talk about um, just cool stuff happen. Like again, with the Oita thing, um, I'm so happy to help. So the guy who lives down there that I was with, Paul Christie, he runs Walk, Walk Japan, um, which is a really excellent, uh, and very storied and, and established uh, real estate company. Um, you know, people who bought Akia and turned them into Airbnbs and stuff. Like, absolutely. Do we take a cut? No, not at all. I want people to go out there and stay at that cool thing that you happen to do, because that's just, I want more of that, right? Um, so working with other people, and I mean, much like much like um, seeking sustainability, uh, is of the utmost importance. I am all about collaboration and promoting the good work of others, and it's so wonderful to see you guys doing the same thing um, because I see that all the time. People are very competitive in in this sustainability sector and that doesn't make any sense because we need yeah. <laughs> more people collaborating and promoting each other than ever before right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely yeah the competitiveness is just kind of like okay whatever <laughs> but, yeah. uh, we got a lot so our website is akiainaka.com a-k-i-y-a-i-n-a-k-a.com um we're on youtube we're on twitter facebook uh instagram We've got our Twitch stream. Can I let me plug this real quick? So there's a game. It's called Stardew Valley, and it's all about. It's an RPG, like a farming RPG, and it's all about this this like code, what do you call it? Like code jockey who was working the corporate life, and then was like, oh, I've had, I, I can't stand it anymore, and they abandoned their life and they moved to what would otherwise be Inaka into an abandoned house that their grandpa used to own and they start farming and stuff and I, I've been playing this game and I realized oh my god this is just like what I did interesting and so we started and so we started a twitch so check out your channel on twitch our, our and twitch, we are yeah. streaming to twitch right now yeah and so, so uh, the, twi the twitch channel is the twitch channel at, as of now anyway is me playing this game and talking with people who are watching it about rural Japan. <laughs> that is hilarious and such a new way to communicate about Akia in Japan. How wonderful. Yeah, I, wa I want to see more stuff like that. I think that there's, again, it's a matter of like realizing what your tool sets are and there's a yeah. lot 
out there that we can use. And I mean, even if you don't use it well, if you keep using it, maybe eventually you will. Right. So like, I really want to support and encourage people to just be like, okay, here's this thing that I don't understand. Let's go try it. Yeah. Right? Sometimes it works. Right. Definitely. And you guys have a good presence on LinkedIn. We are also streaming on LinkedIn today and YouTube as well. You've got some great videos. And I love your videos of just going and exploring the Akia, uh, talking to local people. So there's a lot to discover there as well. We've, we've got you. probably like 15 or so episodes lined up. I was just editing for all the Oita stuff that we were doing. So keep an eye out. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. Have a great day. Thank you. Yep, you too. Thanks, everyone. Take care. See you next time. See you.